Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball American podcast. I'm John Manuel. He is J.J. Cooper. Thank you so much for the download. It's a great time of year, Baseball America, J.J. It, it kind of always is, but this year's, this time of year is a little bit uh, more excited. And frankly, let's face it, how can you not be excited if you're a baseball fan after yesterday's Twins-Tigers game? A very exciting game, Game 163. Three straight years we've had a Game 163 in the regular season. All of them have been dramatic. Uh, the X-ray game the Padres and the Rockies had in 2007, last year's Jim Tomey, Nick Blackburn classic in Chicago at the cell. I'm kind of leaving out John Danks, although he was the real star of that game. And then yesterday, the Twins and Tigers, and uh, the Tigers really capping an epic collapse that will live on in the nightmares of Nathan Rohde, uh, <laughs> young staffer of Baseball America and transplanted Michigander. So uh, lots to talk about. Obviously, it's prospect season at Baseball America. Um, we're doing our league top 20s, and now we have the playoffs. So we're going to talk a little bit of playoffs, a little bit of draft stuff, because we're Baseball America. Uh, and you can uh, send your questions to us about the league top 20s. We're going to definitely have a podcast coming up with myself, Ben Badler, and Matt Eddy just talk about that process and ranking players and all that hoo-ha uh, also coming up. So send those emails to us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. And, uh, J.D., let's just start, though, with yesterday's game. I mean, I really thank goodness for the Twins and the Tigers because it was a relatively modest Major League Baseball season. Attendance is down. There weren't any really – super compelling storylines, but a fantastic finish with the Twins catching the Tigers, and then a really compelling, dramatic Game 163. Oh, absolutely, and we really did need it, because it was not. I mean, the the regular season, if you say five years from now, what do you remember about the 2009 regular season? The answer will probably be, not a whole lot. (laughs) The Twins, this will be it. Yeah, but, and and for the Twins to make this truly memorable, they can do that. If they now go out and beat the Yankees, this becomes truly memorable. Oh, yeah. No, it, goes beyond, it goes beyond Minnesota. Right. I agree but right completely. now, it's, it's, it's limited to Minnesota. If they go out and get swept by the Yankees, it's limited to Minnesota. The only way it really lives on anywhere, anywhere beyond that is that it's the last game, the last regular season game at the Metrodome. And for them to close down that stadium, it's not exactly a historic stadium. There has been a but lot of been historic things that happened there, no doubt. A couple of World Series. Uh, a couple of great World Series is the thing. Both that, tremendous world, seven-game World Series. You're right. I mean, that's the thing is, is that you know, as someone who grew up in Georgia, I was in college in 1991. I mean, you, yeah, that that series will be in my head for, you know. I went forever. to North Carolina UNC, and there were toilet paper rolls uh, at, on Chapel Hill when the Braves won in the 90, in 91 and 92. When the Braves would win, like, the division or win the uh, win a playoff series, they were, I remember they, were rolled, they, they rolled some of the trees on campus, which tells you a little bit about what the Braves meant right. back then, when the Braves had been bad for so long. But, and also that, when that the Braves were, remarkable. you know, and when the Braves were on TBS. Oh all yeah, the time. they really everybody rooted for that's them. No the doubt. Diff- I mean, that's the funny thing is, is that that's what's changed. Is like when you know the Braves are now, I mean, much more of a regional team again because back, hey, for one thing, back in the '80s, it was something where your teams that you could follow if you were the Average baseball fan in an area that didn't, you know, right. you, weren't in, you weren't in a market that, you know, like, okay, yeah, if you lived in St. Louis, you were Cardinal, you know, all that. But You could follow the Braves? The Cubs. And if you're cable, if you had cable and it was really adventurous, you could have maybe the Mets. Maybe too. the Mets with W-O-R. Which right. And you, get little, and you get a little White Sox, too, because the, the WGN would throw occasional White it Sox. It would throw the White Sox a bone every once in a while. But it was amazing. The Braves, I mean, that was that cover at Sports Illustrated, the Braves is America's team. And I remember the lead was about, like, you know, fans of Biff Pocoroba in Montana. You know, and it was true. 
everybody could watch the Braves. So uh, it's, uh, the email is tangent at baseballamerica.com. Actually, no, yeah. not really. But, 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 but the, going tw- back the to Twins Braves World going- Series is something, actually, though, JJ, we haven't had this decade. This has been a good decade for baseball, in my opinion. Revenue's grown. There's uh, been a lot of interest, a lot of great regular season stories. There's been some, uh, a lot of negatives as well this decade with the PEDs. But the one thing this decade has really lacked since the Diamondbacks-Yankees series is a big-time World Series. They've been great postseason the series. World series the World Series has been the letdown yes. after great LCSs. Correct. That's basically what's happened. I mean, That's exactly what's happened. Like, you know, the, the Red Sox-Yankees LCS... That's the best postseason series of this decade. Right, but then the Cardinals after that was basically like, I mean... Anticlimactic as it gets. Can you rem- I mean, you know, I can't even really remember a key moment. I can remember the series. How about Jeff Supon getting picked off, rounding third base by David Ortiz in game three, I believe it was. Okay, but... That, that, was, that, was, the, uh, that was when the Cardinals, that series was completely over. That, that to but, me, is the most memorable moment of that series. But, that, but actually, this all does tangentially lead to my point, which it does. was that... Baseball at its best, baseball, I mean, is not an action sport as much as it is the building of tension. Mm-hmm. Because the reality of it is, is that... It's the interplay. It's, okay, what's going to happen next? You know, are we kind of being on that razor's edge of, okay, what's going to happen? And that was what was great about that Twins-Tigers game was that from the seventh inning on, and it was also great because it was, I mean, you had, not that these teams didn't have power, but from the seventh inning on, you know, basically after you had Kubel's homer, what you had was Unlike inning injuries. after inning after inning of team gets runners on, can the pitcher get out of it? Pretty much, pretty much. Again, and it wasn't so much uh, the high-priced pitcher or the big-name pitcher, although you did have Joe Nathan, you know, one of the elite closers of the, ever, uh, on the mound for the Twins. And he got bailed out, I thought, in the ninth oh. inning first by the home plate umpire. That was a beautiful slider. It was a beautiful but slider. But, inside but, but, but now, when they flashed up pitch track, I mean, that was one of the things that I was baffled <laughs> is, is that they didn't talk about this at all. It's like, they flashed up, they were talking about what a great pitch it was, what a great pitch, and they flashed up pitch track, and it basically showed that according to pitch track, it was a good, what, six inches inside? <laughs> it was four, three to six inches inside, and Placido Polanco doesn't strike out a lot, so I thought he would have gotten that call. And then, the ball that Ordonez hit was a laser to Miguel Cabrera, I mean, to Orlando Cabrera, but uh, how about Ocab? This is an interesting guy to go off on another tangent. Ocab, who was one of my favorite players in, a, in young Ocab days as an expo, I always thought that Ocab was kind of underrated as an expo, and you kind of look at it like, ah, not really. He was a gr- he was a really good player, an exciting player. He certainly left his knees and some of his back and some of his cartilage on the turf in <laughs> Stade Olympique. Um, so I don't think anyone ever really got to see him at his peak. Certainly a key player in no, 04 no, no, not, not for everyone. the Red Sox. 10,000 people got to see him in his feet. And the Fitz, yeah. Aaron Fitz, his dad, yeah. got to go over there. But, uh, you know, for OCAB to say that was one of the greatest games he was in, I wanted to shake OCAB after the game and say, you were in the Dave Roberts game. <laughs> you were in game four, Red Sox-Yankees 04. But you know what? That was a great game. But the next game was a great game. But this game. was a great game from the standpoint of inning after inning. If you had... But also the OCAB hit a two-run home right. run in this game. But, yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> But if you have, though, if you had Ryan Rayburn throwing out, you know, basically the run at the plate. That was awesome. That makes it a good game. Yeah. The fact that you had that after you had that ninth inning where basically, you know, Joe Nathan, you know, was in a deep hole and got out of it. To have, you know, basically Nick Punto throwing out, basically deciding, hey, I'm going to go home instead of trying to turn the double play. That was a tremendous play. You know, to have that. You to have, have, the, to have, have the ground ball up the middle that is like, how did Placido Polanco not get to that one where you thought this could be a double play? That's where you talk about the tension and the buildup. 
you know, the, the Tigers have a lead, then this ball's hit out of the left field, and Rayburn misplays it into a triple. Then later in the inning, Rayburn makes up for that. That's how, and it's Casilla that he throws out. So Casilla's the goat. So within one inning, Rayburn's wearing the goat horns, and then he's a hero again. Casilla's the goat, and then Casilla becomes the hero with the game-winning hit. Or that tension where you're like, boy, the Twins have got a runner at third to tie the game, but Matt Tolbert's the play, and he can't hit. Oh, my God, Matt Tolbert came through. I mean, that's... That is where that tension and the action interplay well, is what and, makes baseball special. And what it also is seen when you get to like the twelfth inning, where you're, you know, where your situation is like Bob Keppel right. is, is rising to the occasion, right? And then you have the and you have the, uh, you know, the hit by pitch that wasn't. Yeah. I mean, clearly Brandon Inge got hit by that pitch, uh, at least his jersey did. Yeah, he got grazed. And that by, should yeah. have driven in a run. That said, does anyone have any confidence that Fernando Rodney would have not have coughed that lead right back up in the next inning? That's the only thing to me. And you can question every move that the managers make in those kind of games. They're the only ones who are down there and know their team. I'm, I'm not really big into second-guessing managers too much, but that's one where you have Fernando Rodney. And he didn't have any, Jim Leland didn't even have anyone warming up. Doesn't someone have to be warming up when Rodney hasn't gone that long in years? But, but the thing about it is, though, is, is that and I, the, one of the things I respected was, is like, especially like with the Twins, don't yeah, don't let Joe Nathan sit, sit out there while you lose the game right. with your next best pitcher. Put Joe Nathan out there, and you know what? If we can make it to the tenth or whatever, we'll figure out after that what we're going to do. And also, Ron Gardenhire learned or last week. He was criticized a lot up in Minnesota when he brought in Matt Greer to face Curtis Granderson, and Granderson had a big base hit. This time, no. Here comes Ron Mayhay, and he was in every crucial situation. You know, they used eight pitchers. Uh, so Gardenhire was not And it is funny. Like I do deep. think there was something to be said for. I mean, not that they didn't know the Tigers before that, but there's an advantage to having just played them. Like, yeah. You like, hey, I'm not going to do this again. Right. A couple you, other side notes to me on that game. Yeah. Rick Porcello, he was phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of fun to watch. Early innings especially, to see this guy had a tremendous season for his age uh, and just a good season for any pitcher um, to come through in that game and pitch as well as he did. Blowing 94, 95 oh. mile an hour, four seamers by guys in the early innings. So he shows he can't get strikeouts when he needs it. This guy's going to be a superstar, so JJ. If you're the Tigers, the thing that you – if you're a Tigers fan – as you recover from this, and understandably, and it's a collapse already. Right. And understandably, it's going to take a little while. The thought of having Verlander, Porcello at the top end of your rotation, and maybe someday soon Justin Turner, their 2009 right. first round. The two. thought of that just has to be encouraging because, really, you could dream on it and say, you know, if Turner turns out. And we're leaving out Edwin Jackson, too. Right. Who, by good. the way, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking... He didn't finish well, but neither did the rest of the team. Right, but, but, but yeah, I mean, Edwin Jackson, you're, you're talking with Porcello, Verlander, Jackson, you know, let's not even take Jacob Turner in this. Yeah. Those are three, you know, three of the harder throwers, you know, especially Verlander and Jackson in the, you know, American League. Like, that pitching staff can compare, you know, ideally can compare with anyone in the American League. The Tigers, despite all the financial issues, I think are going to face them in few coming years because their home city is turning into urban prairie. <laughs> there are no grocery stores in Detroit. Yeah, say, it's, <laughs> That's it's, amazing. It's not tumbleweeds. It's more like, I guess you just have like parts of parts of billboards blowing around. That's a good image. Or old cars yeah. tumbling through. But I mean, uh, we make fun of Detroit, but it's going to be an issue for that city and for that franchise. And they're locked into Dontrell Willis still. And also uh, Miguel Cabrera, who... It blew a point two six, the biggest weekend of the season for them. At least he did. But he, he did come up yesterday. He, he came up pretty big. So uh, we talked way more about the game yesterday than we it, planned it, here on the podcast. It's a great game. Now we look at the playoffs, JJ, and 
despite my uh, Nick Blackburn uh, fan, man crush, I don't see the Twins necessarily winning that series. Uh, no. I, I think they have about a 5% chance of winning that the, series. The problem I see in it is that, you know, they're talking about, oh, CC Sabathia hasn't been a big game pitcher and all that. I, take the Yankees pitching out of it for a second. I just don't see how the Twins pitching staff is not going to get bludgeoned by this. Not that they don't have some solid pitchers, but that Yankees lineup is good enough that it, it's just – and pitching also – in that park, I mean, yeah. you know, where, you know, it, it's something where I don't see the Twins being really built to win 12-10 at New Yankee Stadium. Those are two teams that are built so differently, and, yeah, the Yankees are built to win with power. And the only cracks in the fall line I see for the Yankees are, A, if you do have Jorge Posada being Jorge Posada. He's a great player, but he's pretty much a whiner, in my opinion, and whining about his playing time when really A.J. Burnett and Benji Molina – uh, not Benjamin Molina, Jose Molina. I've really got on the same page, and A.J. Burnett's statistically a lot better with Jose Molina behind the plate. That's pretty much been proven, so I don't see how that's a problem. Jorge Posada just needs to get over it and realize that A.J. Burnett's better. Uh, he's a delicate flower, and he needs Jose Molina you know, behind the plate. If Greg Maddox needs his own personal catcher, exactly. I mean, get over it. Don't, don't get over it if A.J. Burnett needs a personal catcher. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think the only really, the, the, the big chance that the Twins have is they would have to come out, and, and C.C. Sabathia would have to choke. Basically, in game one, as he's done. In past years, I think CC Sabathia has just been worn out by having to carry a team like the Indians or I mean, the like Brewers say, didn't pitch a big over game. the final. What game. did he do for, you know, last year? I mean. Oh, yeah, he was ridiculous down the stretch. It wasn't that he was three days rest and three days rest. It was like, oh, just put your team on my back, and he did everything he could. Now, and they that, weren't and playoff that, games, and that but they were. Prince Fielder on his back. Right. And, and that, that's, that's, that's hard. That's, that's going to wear you out. Yeah, that's going to tire you out. And so he hasn't had to do that this year. A.J. Burnett has been better of late. I would take my chances in Vegas in the Nick Blackburn versus A.J. Burnett matchup, personally. But I think the Twins don't match up at all with, with New York. That said, I bet they win a couple games in that series because and they've lost seven straight to the Yankees. and they're just a, They are a good team. They're not as good as the Yankees, but they're not going to lose and, ten straight to the Yankees that said, this year, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I'm, I can't, you can't help but be interested in this Twins team because they're, they're fascinating. That being said, that Angels-Red Sox series shapes up more to compelling. be – to be uh, that could be a, a pretty impressive series. To me, the biggest matchup. I mean, I hear everyone talk about, and I actually talked to a scout about this last week who confirmed this. Um, just how you know the, the Angels do kind of have slider bat speed, a lot of slider bat speed guys. Really, Howie Kendrick is their best fastball hitter, and it's you know not by a, it's by a fairly wide margin. He's got the quickest hands and the best ability to still stay back but still catch up to good fastballs. And Josh Beckett and John Lester have good fastballs. Yes. But a Josh Beckett hasn't been great of late. Uh, B, uh, who's the Red Sox number three starter? Is it Dice K or is it uh, Buckholz? It sounds like it's going to be uh, Buckholz, isn't it? Uh, Either one of those guys, to me, is far from a sure pop proposition. And the Red Sox middle relief is very dicey right now. I'm, I love Daniel Bard as a prospect. I was very high on Daniel Bard. Is he their seventh or eighth inning guy? Hideki Okajima certainly is a guy who's isn't great at putting out a fire when he comes in in the middle of, a, of an inning. And the Red Sox have Papelbon. Getting to Papelbon, I think, is a little bit of a question. And, and the Angels do run like crazy, and they are very aggressive on the bases. And Jason Veritek and Victor Martinez don't throw anybody out. So I, if I had to pick someone in that series, I, would, I think I would lean toward the Angels a little bit. I just think it's a, it's a fascinating series from the standpoint of you really, whichever team gets out of that, you know, is going to be able to look at 
you know, say the Yankees do make it as we expect. Right. They're going to be able to look at the Yankees eye to eye. It's not going to be something where you say, oh, they're a clear, you know, heavy underdog. I think the... it is really interesting how in this decade the Angels have kind of had the Yankees number in the postseason a couple times, and the Red Sox have had the Angels right. number. So it's just kind of strange that way. And I, and I think that right now, I think the Red Sox, the last thing they want to do is face the Yankees. As much as they dominated them early in the year, as soon as A-Rod got back on the scene, the, the Yankees have just rolled the Red Sox, and it really hasn't and been close in a lot of those games. At the same time, TV uh, executives are going, come on, Yankees. Yeah, no, absolutely. Come on, Yankees, uh, what do you make of the National League, J.J., where the Dodgers were the, clearly the best team right, in the National League they, in the first half? And and then, I, don't know what they, I don't know what to make of the Dodgers right now. Oh, it's, it's hard to know what to make. You know, I mean, you don't want – I mean, it wasn't that Manny came back and they got, you know – Worse or something. Worse like or whatever, but, but the reality of it is is that they just – they, it's like they played over their head for a while, and then they played under their ability for a while, and then they, you know, kind what of... What is their true level? What is, yeah, somewhere in between. But the thing about the National League side is, is that, is there really a team out there that you say, well, that clearly, you know, man, you just... I mean, the closest probably is the Phillies. I, and, and, and even, I, I was about to say, to me, the closest is the Cardinals because of Carpenter and Wainwright, but boy, the Cardinals offense has some significant right, I mean, weaknesses. We were just talking about this before we started the podcast, that... If you don't let Matt Holliday and Albert Pujols beat you, the rest of it for that lineup is something where you're saying, okay, we just have to stay out of the five-hit inning. I mean, I mean their, best, their next best hitter, for me, is probably Colby Rasmus. And he's in his first significant postseason role, and he's pretty up and down, and he is a rookie. Uh, you know, Ryan Ludwig, I feel like he can be pitched to. Skip Schumacher, like you said, he's he's going to scratch you, but he's not going to beat you. And Mark DeRosa hasn't been great in the National right. League. He's, not, he's the exception to the rule of the guy who comes from the American League to the National they, League and dominates. If they win, it's going to be with pitching. But the thing about it is, is like, I look at, you know, when I'm saying who's the best team in the National League right now, I look at the Phillies and I say, well, the Phillies can really match them pitching-wise, but I think they have a better offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because... Maybe you can argue that the, the Cardinals' top two are a little bit better, but the thing that, you know, obviously the Phillies' big question is, is okay, we got to the ninth inning, and have, you know, the Phillies fans just start setting themselves on fire in fear, you know, I mean, because I mean, really, I mean, it's like, that's the, the scary thing. But you know what? There are enough guys they have there who I, if you don't just reflexively say, well, Brad Lidge is our guy, I mean, they should have some ways to figure that out. I agree, and the real question to me seems like how do they use Jay Happ? And I guess there's also some issues. I, I, I do think it's – I understand TV and all that kind of stuff. It's it's disappointing a little bit to see that all the Phillies games and the Rockies games are 230 games. Right. I mean, the, the Phillies are the world champions. I, I think the Rockies are going to win. fascinating team to watch. I think them. the Rockies are going to win that series. I actually think the Rockies are going to win the National League pennant. And the reason I think so is Aaron Cook came back strong late in the regular season. I think it was eight scoreless innings or eight innings with one run in his last outing. Between Ubaldo Jimenez, Aaron Cook – their bullpen. I'm a Houston Street guy. I've been a Houston Street guy since 2002. So bigger man crush on Houston Street than Nick. I was about to say Nick Blackburn's just a he's just a Johnny Come Lately compared to my Houston Street man crush. I still get for Clump talking about Houston Street in 2003 for Team USA. So by the way, I will say Bill Smith on uh, ESPN this that was morning awesome. was talking about when Brian Dunsing. Brian Dunsing. He's like, and remember. He beat you know in, in, Cuba a, in, the World Cup. in the World Cup in 07. I mean, I was like, I was like, wow, good job mentioning that. that I mean, was, that but that is like, if you were asking, really cool. can a guy handle pressure? That's international pressure. There's no doubt that's pressure. I don't, I actually don't think it's a coincidence that the U.S. actually in back-to-back years in 2006 they started Kevin Slowey in Cuba, and then the next year I think Kevin Slowey's success against Cuba was actually a reason why they went with Brian Dunsing 
choosing him for the team, then he pitched well. The Twins, A, teach their guys to go deep into seasons, and B, uh, you know, they, they had teach their, their guys are command guys, and they don't necessarily overthrow. Those Both those guys are very similar, but they command their Everyone fastball. Everyone they have on the Twins pitching yeah. staff, basically, is almost as guys who they're not going to throw, uh, they're not going to walk a whole lot of guys. Yeah. You know, they may not blow you away, but they're going to have command. Absolutely. It's a Baseball America podcast, John and J.J., Rhapsodically uh, talking about the playoffs here a little bit. I, I am pick. Actually, I think the Rockies are going to win the National League. I, I could see it. I think the Angels are actually going to win the American League. I, I, I would. I don't think that's the Fox uh, approved. No, I think that's postseason. The, uh, but that that would be a really a thrilling style of play. Those two teams. And I, to me, uh, maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit. I, I almost think these are going to be like the. It's like going to be the October of Troy Tulowitzki. I mean, I, every time I watch the Rockies. That guy just dominates the screen. He's so big at shortstop. He's so exciting to watch play. He's just ferocious. He's an amazing competitor. I, I've never seen a shortstop who basically – he should call every pitch from shortstop. <laughs> and when the, your Vittorialba and Chris Iannetta may as well never go to the mound. Whenever a Rockies pitcher seems to go to a 2-0 count, Tulowitzki comes in, covers his mouth with his glove, and chews out the pitcher. It's almost like he's Wayne Graham going out there going, throw strikes, you know? <laughs> I mean, I love – I just love watching that guy play. He's a magnetic player. So I, I kind oh. of selfishly want to see and that's the, bummer the thing Rockies being on, be a big deal. Uh, being at you know, two, the 2 o'clock games is that they're the team out there. They're one of the teams out there that you could be a, you know, a solid baseball fan. Now, look, mm-hmm. these days, if you're a diehard baseball fan, the great thing about it is, is we live in a time you can follow whatever team you want to follow. Right, and, and you could you, – you'll never – there's so much information out there, you'll never get tired of, find, of reading stuff. There's right. so I mean, the, much. The great thing about it is, is like, you know, if you have MLB Network and you're interested in a team, you'll get to watch some of their games live even if you don't pony up the extra Correct. money for extra innings and all that, all that. But that being said, if you're the baseball fan who has an interest in the game, the postseason shows up, you start paying more attention and all. The Rockies are a team, you know, they're not showing, you haven't caught them that, you know, that often during the right. season. And so, and there are a fascinating team. I mean, they're a team that is worth paying attention to. I, I love, I love the Rockies team. I love, and I, I really like watching the Angels play. But I, the Phillies are also a fascinating team yeah, the, to me with their well, the, the way their even, offense. You know, is. hey, we were talking before this started. The Dodgers, you know, people, everyone are, is writing off the Dodgers. At the same time, we both agree. Take the two Cardinals pitchers out of it. Yeah. I know everyone's trying to say, well, Clayton Kershaw's too young. He, you know, he got hurt late in the season, all that. We, I think we both agree that Clayton Kershaw is the guy of every pitcher, starting pitcher out there who could have an outing where you go, wow, he was just unhittable. He's like the most likely per- pitcher in the game to uh, be the first pitcher since Don Larson to throw a perfect game in the postseason. I don't know I mean, if he'd be able to go nine. I mean, that's him. the thing. Is, I don't know he if might not be able to go nine, but that guy is yeah, – That would be, be a tough call. Like, okay, leaving the seventh, he's gassed, but he had <laughs> right. a perfect game. He's the truth. There's no doubt that Clayton Kershaw, he also could be – a breakout star of the postseason. I think Howie Kendrick could be a breakout star of the postseason. I don't think anyone of the Yankees or Red Sox could be breakout stars of the postseason. They're already broken out. And if the Twins, it's obviously, I think everybody knows who my breakout um, star of the postseason would be. But I think it would be awesome if Joe Maurer put the Twins on his back and carried them which, a by the series way, or two. The, the argument being heard a month ago, you know, and I'm, I mean, not one of I'm one of many carrying the Joe Maurer flag. Of, sure. you know, how is he not the MVP? Yeah. But the argument being made was, well, you know, but he's not. You know, there's seven games out or whatever. Dead. And now, what's the argument? Dead he's the bearing. best. He's the best hitter in the game. Who, by the way, is a Gold Glove catcher. And oh yeah, by the way, played a huge role in getting them into the playoffs. I, I mean, guess if he did the slash stats triple crown, he'd be the first slash stats triple crown winner since Ted Williams. 
And, Peter and the reality is, is to me is, is that amazing. is that is the if you want to talk about the actual triple crown, that's what he can control. You know, the funny thing is is that RBIs, I mean right. I know, you know, it's the traditional one, but Joe Maurer can't control if he's got guys on base or not. Sure, sure. He can control somewhat whether he drives them in or not. But can you hit for power? Can you get on base? Can you hit for average? Yeah. No, he does it all. He does it all offensively. I mean he's the best offensive player in the game. So it's a baseball America podcast, John and JJ. You got a couple uh, podcast comments and questions I thought we'd get into real quick. Our buddy Joe LeCay just wants to pass along. Hey, uh, Joe. Yeah, exactly. He wants to pass along thanks for the uh, the uh, law firm uh, podcast of Fit Manual and Glassy uh, for our 45-minute marathon <laughs> session on the summer. college summer leagues in the 2010 draft. So you're welcome, Joe. That was a fun podcast to do. And then uh, Michael in Seattle uh, liked our Me and You podcast on the uh, reviewing our old lists, reviewing the five years ago, top 20s, and uh, and he basically wanted to say, we, we kind of ended up talking about exploring if there's hope for the hopeless, so he wanted to know if there were the, we talked about this a little bit off the air the other day, JJ, about the perennial losers, <clears throat> excuse me, Pirates, Orioles, Nats, <clears throat> Royals, and Reds, you happen to do the top 30s of both the Royals and the Reds, but he thought, as an Orioles fan, he thinks the Orioles are closer to relevance than those other teams, Pirates, Nationals, Royals, and Reds. Because of a future rotation of Mattis, Tillman, Arietta, Bergeson, Jeremy Guthrie as your fifth starter, and then uh, or fourth starter with Bergeson as your five, and a lineup featuring Markakis, Adam Jones, Weeders, Rymel, PA, uh, Roberts, Scott. That's that's too many outfielders, yeah, by the way. For uh, <laughs> well, PA, the fourth outfielder, them. he does like their talent level. And I actually was talking about this with somebody else yesterday. Uh, JJ, I do think the Orioles do have a chance to make a leap. I think Adam Jones and Nick Markakis are very good players. Brian Roberts is an outstanding lead. He's a rarity. He's a really good leadoff man. He gets on base. He hits for enough power for leadoff man. He steals bases efficiently. Um, Matt Wieters really started coming into his own offensively in the second half. I think Nolan Reimold and Luke Scott are nice six- and seven-hole hitters, guys who have enough power to hurt you. To me, the Orioles are two very large pieces away. They need a a John Lackey-esque starter. I bring John Lackey up because he's a free agent this offseason. And he's really like a number two on a championship team. He has championship experience. He's a, he's a workhorse. And then they're a, a true four-hole hitter away. Uh, and I, I somewhat agree with you. I think we've talked about this. I think they're more of the four-hole hitter. They need another hitter. I think to me, so if I'm the Orioles and I'm spending money, I'm not thinking that 2010 is the year that we're going to you know make that leap. I think the pitching's too young still. Right. And if that being said... I don't think necessarily by the time, like even by 2011, for this team to be what you hope, it's going to be, I mean, to give the bad analogy, but to go back to, we talked about that Braves team. Yeah, they got a Charlie Liebren in. Right. By the time that they were, really, by the time they were good, Charlie Liebren was an appendage who, <laughs> you know, he was essentially the fifth start, you know, the fourth right. fifth starter who gives up the, you know, well, we're going to use them here. We trust them. And, we'll you know, see gives, you tomorrow night. Yeah, yes. exactly. The Orioles, if things break right for them, their aces are going to come from the guys that they already have. I, I agree with you. I used to think it was the other way. I used to think they needed a pitcher. Um, but now I think yeah. they need, I mean, like, really, that's, I think, and the thing is, I think Andy McPhail recognizes that. And Mark Teixeira would have been the perfect person for them. I think they have a future middle of the lineup guy in in Josh Bell, whom they stole from the Yankee, the Dodgers, right. in the but uh, ideally, George Sherrill trade. But ideally, for him, even if you could put like Break to me, in, if they could, yeah. if you could say, okay, we're going to bring in a first baseman who 
is, you know, a, a guy to worry about. I mean, yeah, I don't know who that would be. But yeah. I don't know who that would be. But when, they're not going to win a championship with Michael Aubrey at first base. Right. Let's put it that way. But, you know, if they could do that, that would be, you know, to, they, just one more guy to basically put around as Weeders, Markakis, and all them basically go, you know, continue to take steps towards being not just very, you know, solid players to right. very good players, but to, but to all-star level. But they're an, they're an exciting team. They're to me, they're oh. kind of where the Rays were the last couple of years. Uh, prior you look to at that pitching, and you say there's there's a lot to dream on there. Now, uh, of the four he listed, I would say the Orioles and the other team I'd throw in that I think have a ch- has a chance is the Reds. Partly because the problem for the Orioles is is that they play in the same division as right. the Yankees, Red Sox, and you still have to throw the Rays in there. Right. Whereas with the Reds. You know, it's a it's an easier division. The thing for the Reds is that basically they need for them to do it. They need Homer Bailey, like what Homer Bailey did for the last basically month and a half, two right. months of the season. He needs to be some version of that for a season. I think it's possible for the Reds in 2010, but I don't think it's probable. Enough. I don't think it's probable, especially because they're not because they're not going to add. They have holes. And they don't have any money. Yeah, I, I mean, they took a step backwards as an organization this year. I really didn't like the roll and trade. For the roll and trade to me is the one. I think if their you farm took, system if doesn't you, look great to me either. If you took the roll and trade, most of their farm, most of the help from the farm system, most of it at least, has now there. reached there. Yeah. The thing about it is, is that they do have some building blocks. Like if you can say, okay, if you know, again, this is the ideal scenario for them. If Jay Bruce goes from being basically a 230, 40 home run guy, because that's what he <laughs> that's was where this he year. Is, yeah. I mean, he was already, like, if you, you know, yeah, if he throw it hurt, out, you're right. he's a 40 home run guy right now, but a 230-40 home run guy. If he can go from that to being just basically, you know, takes the, the step forward. Closer to being the Larry Walker type guy that people talked about. Right. Him if being. he can do that to go with Joey Votto, if Drew Stubbs can be a solid, you know, just everyday regular in center I think field. He, he showed he can be. I'm encouraged you, by Drew Stubbs. You, you throw Brandon Phillips in there, and again, if they had just not done that rolling trade, which still is baffling. Too late. You know, but you can see the pieces there, and again, they're in an easier division. The problem for the Pirates and the Royals is, is that I, do, I still, like, you know, I take. The, I mean, the Royals are, it's like it's hard to see the pieces there. Poor, like the, they, the Royals are a train wreck. The Royals' problem is, is that to dream on the Royals, you basically say all these guys in A-ball turn out. Right. And no one has. And none of them ever, had great years. And no, year. and, and and no team ever has all their guys in a ball turnout. Yeah, the, the Royals are a train wreck, and the Pirates, and the Pirates are a little bit further away. There are some signs of life there. Pedro Alvarez Pedro had a Alvarez great is, second half. Yeah, Pedro Alvarez is the guy you say, okay, they're going to build around Pedro Alvarez, Andrew McCutcheon. But the problem is, is that there's they've got a lot of. They've got a lot of complementary pieces that they also still have to sort through. And the pitching, to me, is Pittsburgh's biggest issue. They just went through a cycle of trying to rebuild their pitching staff, and right when it looked like they had a, a rotation that could be competitive, Ian Snell and, and Tom Gorzolani blew up, and they gave up on both of them and traded them. And I, right. I thought trading Snell, okay, maybe. I thought trading Tom Gorzolani was a mistake. I like Tom Gorzolani. Lefties with that kind of stuff are harder to find, and... I just don't think Zach Duke and Paul Mahalam are front of the rotation guys, and I think that uh, Tom Gorzolani can be. So they have a long way to go, in my opinion, on the mound. I like some of their position acquisitions, and I, you know, Tony Sanchez has a great pro debut, which makes things look good for them there. But uh, the pitchers they've acquired in a lot of these trades, J.J., when they've traded off players, are guys like Tim Alderson and Brian Morris and guys who've gone backwards. Charlie Morton. Yeah, just not a lot of excitement there. So Ross Ollendorf is like the best guy they've acquired so far, and, yeah, he's nice, but he does throw hard. He throws 
he's interesting, but I don't think he's a front of the rotation guy either. So Michael in Seattle, we agree with you. We think the the Orioles are a better among those second division teams. And um, one and, last... and Cleveland's really starting over completely. And I wouldn't count Oakland as a second division team, although I guess we should. They've had three straight losing seasons, but actually yeah, Oakland's cool. a lot closer. Because they have Brett Anderson and Brett Anderson, Trevor Cahill, well, they have especially a, a, Brett Anderson. I mean, if they had five rookie <laughs> starters at points this and year. I, and I talked to a scout who said that after Brett Anderson, the second best stuff on that team is Gio Gonzalez. He cannot figure out why Gio Gonzalez gives up so many home runs. But it's the same problem he had in the minor leagues. He's going to have to figure out some way. If he doesn't figure that out, he won't last. But but Gio Gonzalez has, in my mind, like number three starter written all over him, but he has he has he this one fatal a, flaw yeah. right there and he hasn't he hasn't gotten over that. But the other thing with Oakland is they are brutal offensively. That's a brutal offensive team. Where like right now their best offensive player is the battle between Roger Davis and Jack Cust. I mean they're just not even close. I mean Adam Kennedy was a significant offensive upgrade for them. So so but I, I think it's easier for Oakland to find offensive help than it, is, than to it is to find a number one starter, which Brett Anderson is on his way to being. There's no doubt about that. And before we wrap up, we had one more topic we wanted to touch on, which yeah, was, we'll we, both, on we both heard it on uh, Mike, ES- Mike, Mike and Mike, Buster. <laughs> yeah, Mike and Buster this morning on ESPN. Uh, Bud Selig was on, and it struck us both when Bud Selig was talking that when they were asking him about competitive balance and all, and he's made this message very clear. It's like he thinks that this year is an aberration, that, you know, that there is much more competitive balance. Yes, the big market teams are winning this year, but but then he went on to say, but what needs to happen is true slotting for the draft, not suggested slots, but actual true hard slots, hard slots, NBA an, style slots is basically what he talked about, and an international draft. The and NBA style slot, I, I'm, this will have to be a blog post that probably will be online by the time this is uploaded. But what I wrote is a big problem comparing it to the NBA slots is the NBA has two rounds and only one of them is slotted. So what if baseball? Baseball, the 50-round draft, and of course the NBA has minor leagues now, but certainly not to the extent the Major right. League Baseball has. But so how many rounds would you slot? Would you slot five rounds and then the draft would only be, say, ten rounds? I actually would be for that. I would love it if baseball cut its draft to ten or fifteen rounds. And basically, I think if you had hard slotting, That's you have to have something. And we have all this stuff going on with the NCAA now, too, J.J., where the NCAA and its infinite stupidity is trying to extort information out of these players, basically, trying to get players to make themselves ineligible by talking about their contact with advisors. At the same time, we know high school players who are sophomores and rising juniors who have advisors, which is insane. Uh, To me, especially if if there were hard slots, there'd be very little need for advisors. Only your top high school players really need them. And I would love to see... The draft moved to the end of June. We're going pie in the sky here, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the John Manuel skeletal part of the plan. I'd love to have the draft move to the end of June or, or the All-Star game, and that June would become a month where there is a combine. It's a medical combine, and also high school players can go to this event, and at the end of this combine, the MLB would run. You have to decide whether you're in or you're out. You can't – once you're in – you're in, and you you can have an agent. You sign off. You know you don't have NCAA eligibility anymore. And when you know what the slots are, that you take your chance. You're in the draft. And once you and after you, if you go to that combine and the reports are not good, well then you, you pull out and you're going to college. And I, I I would love it if that process happened before the draft well, as opposed to the dance and after the draft. The thing about it is is that if you have hard slotting, 
that's the point at which you can do that. Right. I don't think you can do one without the other. You have, I mean, if you want to have this de- declaration, you have to do it one way or the other. You I have agree. to have that because I st- you, it's you, not you, fair to say you have to declare, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way. We now we're going to lowball Oh, but Door 3, you actually would have gotten 100000 instead of the, t- the million. I agree. I, cause I, I, and I'm not saying that to help college baseball. I really think that puts the power in the players' hands. You decide what you want, what you're going to do, and I think, and I do think even even if you do that, that like there should also be a process by which you like if you go into it, you know, and you expect to be a first round pick, and you end up being drafted, and they tell you you're going to be a first round pick, and you end up being drafted in the fifth round or whatever, or the tenth round. Well, then if you don't you hire, then if you don't hire an agent, then I think you can still have or, your NCAA eligibility. That, like, that could be possible. But also, we could also we could, they've shown before, like say, okay, then you got to sit out a year, but then you can go, you know, or something. There's ways to That's do that. That's possible too, yeah. Because they've done that before, you know, like or you don't you don't go to a Division One school. Maybe you can't. The NCAA can leave you out all they want, but maybe junior college. Or right. the NAIA or something like that can but, take you. But I do think that, okay, hard slotting, if you want to do that, I mean, there, I are, no way, problem with hard there are ways personally. to do that. You know, I mean, I also, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I think that you're basically, as far as the problems of, of this, the slotting is actually not the big problem. I mean, I, we're really I talking about too. the amount of money, like, unless you're going to be something insane about it and say, okay, well, the first pick in the draft is going to get what, you know, I mean, what are you going to set it at? Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I do hope, I, I would also, part of the John Mangle plan, <laughs> is if you have hard slotting, a lot of that money that is now going into signing bonuses, and like, you know, some teams are spending $10, $11 million in the draft, you need to increase the per diem that you give to minor league players. You need to increase, you need to increase the minor league salaries, because that's another whole other, uh, uh, right. that's where some of that money that we're talking about would be going into signing bonuses. A lot of that money has to go to actual Working you know stiffs in the minor leagues, you know JJ. What? If you play in the minor leagues, like we, I was just talking to a minor league yes. about this, and he made the point, like a friend of his got to the big leagues. He was a AAA player right on that edge. He was making $10,000 for the year. The day he got to the big leagues, the week he was in the big leagues, doubled his salary, more than, more than doubled his salary for the year. I would love to see basically the money that gets poured into scout signing bonuses for players and a lot of cases wasted on signing bonuses for players. I don't want that money to stop going to scouting and player development. I want it to go more to player development. I think that teams should spend more money on nutrition for their players, on classes for their Latin American players, to, and for all their players, guys they sign out of high school, but, to make them complete human beings. But also, like, if I ran a team... Why do minor league teams have three coaches? Should they have as many coaches or more than a major league club has? That's where player development happens. So that's where some of that money would need to go, but that would have to be a right, more comprehensive a, approach. But, the but international draft, I think, is what we were part, more interested in. That, that's about. the part that I don't know. Like that is, It's easy to say, hey, we need to have an international draft. How do you do That's it? the easy part. And I think if you said, hey, you know, even getting it agreed to, easy part. You, there's some debate even if you don't have free agent compensation tied to it, does the union even really have a say in it? Right. All that. That's all the easy part. And then you get down to the part that's like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Yeah. Scott and, Boris had an idea in our 2001 Fix the Draft issue that had an October 1st international draft following six-week combines at three sites, four if Asian players are included, which, would, which all players must attend to allow all teams to evaluate their skills, health, and eligibility. This would reduce scouting costs and afford all clubs equal access to talent. I like that idea. I doubt MLB would ever do the Boris idea. And that's clearly boiled down because we had space limitations in the issue. But I think the Boris idea 
of making okay if you again if you're 16 17 if you want to play if major league baseball if you want to sign a player he has to come to this combine and register and be put into the system and everybody can see him one of the biggest well, issues but, but, is verifying the ages of these players verifying their names their ages making sure they're not that isabella Hiron is not really oh that's really his sister he's yeah. really this name um but also, that's how you hide a lot of a lot of these teams hide these players and then sign them for giant bonuses where half of it goes to their Buscone or their agent or whatever. But here's the problem. Here's a couple. There, there are a lot of problems. Yeah, there's, here's some problems. Okay, one, at some point, yes. Okay, so you don't go to this. At some point, that player has to become eligible to sign. Otherwise, like, you know. You can't say, well, you know, you're one. Of, you didn't go to that draft, so you'll never be eligible. Oh, yeah, yeah. What age do they become eligible to be signed where they didn't or, go to a combine? That's a good point. Right. That's one. Eighteen, maybe. So we're going to do hard slotting, right? So presumably, yes. Assuming, you know, okay. So you're going to slot in the U.S. and it's going to be eligible. At, you're eligible at eighteen, and say we're going to pay the number one pick two million dollars. Right. So. Are we going to do the same for this draft, or are we going to make it, you know... Good question. Are we going to make it lower? How many rounds are you going to go? Like, for, you know, are you going to do this as for two rounds, and after that it's just the same free-for-all that it is now? Or are you going to do it for 20 and lock up basically everyone in right. it? You know, and at that, and that point, I mean, teams aren't going to want to put their the guys... I mean, many of the best scouting successes that come out of Latin America are the $5,000 guy you Yeah, you're right. Well, Fausto Carmona, that great story that Chris Klein always told where he signed for $12,000 on a new set of teeth. Right. Because he grew up on a sugar cane field. Well, those are the guys that, you know, teams aren't going to want to take that guy to a combine and show him off for everyone else to sign. They're, yeah, no, you're right. That, I mean, that guy may actually just stay in the sugar cane fields because, you know, a team's. You, there's no, so many problems with this from the standpoint of it sounds easy, to, it sounds great, like a great idea. But another one is, okay, so Cuban defectors would assumingly be part of this. Well, how, about, how about Asian big league type players? What if who's like, what about the next Sung Yap Lee? What if uh, who was at number ninety nine uh, for Korea, the left hander in the Olympics? Uh, I know his last yeah. name was R Y U. Yeah, Jake, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was Yu and yeah, Yu's the college guy. Yu yeah. was the college. The left hander was 21, 22 21, years old. Getting comparisons guy, to, yeah. to David Wells. Right. What if this guy decides? You know, I fulfill my military commitment now. I'm twenty five years old. Pitched in Korea for all these years. I want to come to the United States. I'm better than Chan Ho Park ever was. I want to come to the United States. Well, how do you treat a Korean, quote-unquote, big leaguer? But, no, but I don't know. Step further, like, I really I don't okay, know. Arolas Chapman, say he defects in July, and say you're having a June draft or whatever. Does he have to wait a year? He has to wait a year? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. You've got big league-ready guy like Alexi Ramirez, you know, going a couple of years back. Big league-ready guys should not have to wait, a, you know, a year or 11 months if they get, you know, if they're not cleared in time for the draft. These are difficult details to work out. I do think an international draft is possible. I just don't think it's easily done. My, I, my I, whole thing is, is too much to too much to chew at one point. They they even said in the last CBA, hey, we're going to do an international draft. Right. Then they got down to doing it. It's like we can't do this. Don't worry about fix. If you think that there are real problems with the U.S. draft, yeah, fix that first. Because the reality is, is that once you do that and you have done that for a couple of years and figured out, because the reality is, is that MLB every time they do one of these things. What ends up happening is is that they find out a year or two in, oh, we didn't see that was going to happen. Right. Fix that, and then take the you know, handle the sandwich. This nice yeah. little sandwich before you basically try to eat the giant you know ten I, pound you know. I hamburger. actually believe the U.S. draft is a pretty easy fix 
compared to the international draft. So fix that one so first. I, I, is what I, I think, I, if I think, think that can be broken. fixed. I, but I think they. I don't. I don't think the two are linked. Myself. That's what I'm trying I to think, say too. I, that's, that's how you're right. I think the. I think the U.S. draft is easily fixed. But I think the international situation is much more screwed up than the domestic situation. I mean, like this morning, Mike Go, Go, Greenberg talked about. Well, so you avoid a Strasbourg situation. There was no Strasbourg well, situation. He actually didn't say situation. He said Strasbourg disasters like Strasbourg. Like, yeah. How was that a disaster? It wasn't. It wasn't at all. It was perfectly reasonable, and the people being unreasonable about it is ESPN showing. Oh, here's highlights of Strasburg from Instructional League, where nobody even keeps stats. The lineup he faced probably had 11 guys in it. I mean, it's Smith cool. Thing got to, to I think it was cool yeah. that, that they showed instru- Instructional League video, but I mean, if I were Steven Strasburg, I'd be a little annoyed by the attention he's getting in Instructional League, well, too. You know, yeah, I mean, but it no, it doesn't come with the territory. He is the first person I've ever seen Instructional right. no, League it comes, video of. It comes with the record-setting bonus, and it comes with, but, we're, we're, I, but also it comes with, we're in a time now. I mean, Bryce Harper... Could have been Bryce Harper, you know, ten years ago, and the reality is, is only Baseball America readers would have known about Bryce Harper. Probably true. Now, now, it's not true. I mean, it's just not that we don't still cover those guys, but the reality of it is, is that Steven Strasburg was the new, you know, Mark Pryor, Andy Bennis. The reality is, is that when Andy Bennis was coming through at that time, and Strasburg's a better prospect, right. but Andy I, Bennis I was point. not a household name. I see your point. I guess. Uh, very rarely do you see like video of NFL quarterbacks at the quarterback camp. That doesn't happen that often. Does it happen? You're Actually, I've NFL. seen it. I've, no, I've seen, yeah. You've seen it, but have you seen it on SportsCenter or do you see it on NFL Network? NFL Network. Or do you see it online? That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I, I think Steven Strasburg is being overhyped a little bit, and it's no fault of Steven Strasburg's. But I should say Strasburg. But uh, we we covered a lot of topics, JJ. We probably need to do a podcast more than like once a week, as opposed to every other week. But there's not like there's not other stuff going on in the BA universe. We do thank you for the download and for listening. Send those questions to podcast at baseballamerica.com, and we'll read them every week uh, when we do a podcast here at baseballamerica.com. For JJ, I'm John. Until next time, so long, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.